Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Arise to Truth. My name is Wesley Simons. I preach for the Stony Creek Church of Christ in Elizabethton, Tennessee. And I'm Eddie Kraft, co-director of the Tri-City School of Preaching and Christian Development here in beautiful Elizabethton, Tennessee. And I'm Bill Haywood. I preach for the Lord's Church in Abingdon, Virginia. I'm Jeff Johnson, Dean of Students at the Tri-City School of Preaching and Christian Development. I'm Elton Mathers, Dean of Crickham at the Tri-City School of Preaching and Christian Development, the preacher at the Mount Olive Church of Christ in Greenville, Tennessee. Boy, it's great to have these men with us. Great to have you with us by both radio and Internet. Thank you much for making us a part of your day in studying the greatest of all books, the inspired, inerrant, perfect will of God. Now, if you are where you can, go get your Bible, pencil, and paper. And for the next one hour, study with us that wonderful book, the Bible. But as you go to get your Bible, stop by the telephone, call a friend, a loved one, Tell them that the Arise to Truth radio program is on the air. If they're in the local area, we're 690 on your AM dial, 93.3 on your FM dial. And if they're out of city, out of state, out of country, tell them to type in arisetotruth.com on their search engine. When our web page comes up, click on the banner, listen live here. And they've got us. Now, we want you and we want them to be a part of our radio program as you see fit by calling 512-9226, 512-9226. Now, if your loved one's out of town, they'll need to dial area code 423-512-9226. Fellas, as we look at America and as we look... At this old world, many people are becoming atheistic in their thought pattern and endorsing evolution. So today we want to talk about evolution, fact, or fiction. That's what we want to talk about. Is man simply molecules in motion? Is that all he is? That something just evolved? I asked an atheist one time on this program if there's any difference really in killing a cow and a man, and he had to say no to be consistent. See, because both are just molecules in motion. Or does man really have a soul? You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-five, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit, 1 Corinthians 15.45. Even some people who claim they believe in the Bible don't want to believe in the Bible account of creation. Ladies and gentlemen, if I can't believe in the first Adam, and the Bible says he existed, how can I believe in the second Adam, which of course is Jesus Christ? They stand together, they fall together. Now, the history book of this universe is the Bible. And we've got to understand that. If you want to find out how we got here, why not listen to someone that was there when all of it came into existence? And the Bible says in the very first verse, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's either true 
or it's false. And gentlemen, this is going to be our discussion today, and of course that is true. You know, Wesley, when you hear some of these so-called teachers of evolution start talking about billions and billions and trillions and trillions of years ago, this happened and that happened. You can just mark it down. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. Oh, that's right. Because the world did not uh, have to have billions and billions and trillions and trillions of years to accomplish what God wanted to accomplish in that time. Now, they'll have a lot to say about science, and they'll take empirical knowledge that you can't see, touch, taste, feel God, and so forth. Therefore, he must not exist. But the truth is, how do you come up? The ideas were created before the science. Take the ideas away, you have nothing to gauge or judge something by. That's right. And so they can't even judge thoughts or ideas based upon their scientific kind of theology type thing. And so the Bible teaches us that man is in the earth is relatively young, especially in view of these other things. They say, well, you know, I heard this guy talking about how old a tree was one time by counting the rings in that tree. The problem with that is what if that tree was created full grown? You'd have enough rings in it to make it look like it was hundreds and hundreds of years old when really it's just been created. A rise to truth here on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes, uh, Brother Wesley, uh, can you give me the uh, reference, the, uh, uh, yeah, the reference for the uh, uh, verse that says, A merry heart with good like a medicine. Okay, we'll look that up for you. It's in Proverbs. The reference right off hand, I don't recall, but we'll get it for you. Okay. All right, I appreciate that. And uh, also, uh, brother, uh, you're doing a good job, and I enjoy studying the Bible with you, fool. Well, thank you for listening, and thanks for calling. Okay? Uh, Bye. Uh, All right, Bill, so you or somebody got that reference? Probably. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Okay, Proverbs seventeen twenty-two, And we're proud to give that reference. And all of us ought to certainly be happy as children of God. I want to comment on what Eddie said. Eddie said, what are you going to say to these people that said everything started 15 billion years ago? I'm going to say thank you. Thank you. They just gave up. Mm-hmm. If everything started 15 billion years ago, you know what they just admitted? Matter is not eternal. If matter is not eternal and you back up 15 billion years ago plus one second, you've got nothing. Now, how can nothing bring forth something? Friends, listen, if you start with nothing, you're going to wind up with nothing. Look at my savings account, and I can prove that. You start with nothing, you wind up with nothing. So if matter is not eternal, there's only one other choice. An intelligent being has to be behind it all. Well, that's exactly right, Wesley. And you know what's what's so sinister about this is that scientists know that this is not scientific. As a matter of fact, a very interesting quote by George Wald that just absolutely blows my mind away. I remember the first time I saw this, I thought I was going to fall out of my chair. He was a Harvard professor, 
a biochemist and a Nobel laureate. Back in 1954, he said this, When it comes to the origin of life, there are only two possibilities, creation or spontaneous generation. Now, I want you to write that down. He said the only two possibilities. He says there is no third way. Now, spontaneous generation, this is me talking now. Spontaneous generation would be, in other words, all of a sudden, uh, 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 non-living matter all of a sudden would become life. Even if that was true, you still have the problem that Wesley alluded to, where did that matter come from? But he says, how would a how would a dead rock all of a sudden become life or, or, or you know, from, from non-life become life? He says, spontaneous generation was disproved 100 years ago. But that leads us only to one conclusion, that of supernatural creation. We cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose by, uh, spontaneously by chance. Now, I want you to think about this. He's saying, it, we know that spontaneous generation doesn't occur, but we accept it because it goes against our philosophy. One more thing from George Wald, he goes on to say, one has only to contemplate the magnitude of this task to concede that spontaneous generation of a living organism is impossible. Mm -hmm. Yet here we are. As a result, I believe, a spontaneous generation. So here's the point, folks. We've got people out there who intimidate us. Uh, some scientist that has all kinds of letters behind his name, and he speaks in in uh, sophisticated tones and uh, well, we know that the world is so old, and, you know, if you were as smart as me. And we get nervous about that. But they admit themselves their their position is not scientific, and yet we bow down as if uh, we've got to uh, uh, cater to them and, and give up our argument. Jeff, before you speak, let me say something. They chide us because we believe in miracles. That God said, let there be light. And there was light. See, they chide us. And then George Wald admits that spontaneous generation is impossible. Mm -hmm. But then he says we must believe that or believe the only other alternative, and that is that God created everything, so he has to have a huge miracle to bring forth life from that which is non-living and they chide us for believing in the miraculous? Man, you think about that. Yeah, it's, you know, he said, well, you really believe all these animals came, all these different dogs from one or two dogs? And the little boy told him, so, well, it's better than believing it came from a rock. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Arise to truth on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes. Uh, I have a question on this. Uh, but first, I want to tell you that I truly enjoy listening to you your program. Uh, you do a good job. Uh, some things I agree with, some things I don't, but that's okay. Uh, now, what I wanted to ask you was, I just want to know what your theory is on the dinosaurs. Okay. We have, we have proof that they were here. Uh, we just don't have anything to uh, say exactly when they were here in the Bible. But how do you, how, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a 100% believer. Uh, I believe in the Lord with all my heart and soul. But I just wondered what your take on the dinosaurs was, or if you hold to the gap theory or, or whatever. 
Okay. Right. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. The gap theory is as false as it can be. The day-age theory is false. All those things are false. They're, they were originated because that uh, Bible believers didn't know what to do with the dinosaurs to a large degree. Right. Now, what about those dinosaurs? Does the Bible speak on it? You better believe it does. Absolutely, teetotally. Well, how does it speak on it? Well, God created all things in six literal 24-hour days. On day six, he created the beast of the field, Mm -hmm. and he created man. Among the beast of the field would be the dinosaurs. All these animals were brought before Adam, and he named every one of them. Now, he didn't call it a dinosaur. That's an 1800 uh, name given, which means terrible lizard. He didn't give it that name. But now, when you read the book of Job and read about Behemoth and Leviathan, they have all the characteristics of being dinosaurs. Dinosaurs walked with mankind in Glen Rose, Texas. They have fossilized footprints of both man and dinosaurs in the same area. How in the world, Wesley, would they get two of those big dinosaurs in the ark? Ooh, you don't have to get big ones. Baby ones. That's right. A pink one and a blue one. That's all you got to do is get uh, two on the ark. Just like little baby elephants or hippos. You get babies or giraffes. Get the babies. And put them on there. And that's the way it was done. And so the dinosaurs, they lived and became extremely large, but not just dinosaurs. Other animals, even mankind. You know, uh, before the flood, men lived to be 900 and something years old. You believe that, Wesley? I believe it. There was a canopy of water over this earth. Now, when you take reptiles like that, they continue to grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, as they age, well, that happened with dinosaurs. And lo and behold, after the water fell from the canopy over the earth to flood the earth, then mankind didn't live as long, and neither did dinosaurs. And eventually, they died out, or else they're not getting as big as they once did. And, Wesley, I saw a documentary one time where it showed they went into these areas where there wasn't hunting. They weren't hunting these animals, and so the animals were a lot larger because they lived longer. Right. And they got into this water, and they saw huge fish, uh, fish uh, animals. And when you look at that, why were they so large? Nobody yeah. was there fishing. No one was there hunting them. Yeah. And so because of hunting and food, uh, things like that, a lot of the animals would have been killed out. But when you look at the, and the caller makes a good point, because a lot of people that are religious have no idea what to do with the dinosaurs. That's right. And the people that are uh, kind of uh, theistic in their evolution will kind of prod them, and, and they get into trouble sometimes because they don't know how to deal with That's it. That's right. You know, one of the things that turns turns the whole thing upside down is the abundant evidence that shows that dinosaurs and man lived together. That's right. 
one of the one of the amazing things is you think about the petroglyphs yep. where the Indians Absolutely. drew pictures of dinosaurs. Now And they were accurate. And they were mm-hmm. accurate. In Peru. Now this is really interesting. Down in Peru they have these Ica burial rocks that depict dinosaurs and man together. We know that the artwork dates from about eight hundred to about fifteen hundred and there was a a Spanish priest that wrote about these uh, rocks that goes back to about the 1600s. So we know this is not a recent, uh, uh, something that man recently produced. How did they know how to draw a picture of a dinosaur and, and, and in proper proportion to a man? You know, but we've got this in our mind that dinosaurs have been extinct for millions and millions of years. And it just goes to show we don't know everything we think we know. That's right. You know, uh, Bill, I held two of those in my hands. Mm-hmm. They were brought over here from Peru to be given to Bert Thompson. Right. And right here, back in the church building over there, I held two of them. And they are amazing. As you look at those dinosaurs that were drawn on there, it's amazing. Now, when you think about dinosaurs, and let's take a T-Rex. And let's say he's walking through the yard out here. The church uh, property has a heart attack, drops over, and dies. Was he going to be preserved? Absolutely not. No. So then a question comes up. How come we find dinosaurs buried all over the earth? It takes something catastrophic to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, is there anything in the Bible that might hint at what covered all those dinosaurs up so rapidly? Yes, the universal flood of Genesis 6 through 8. And they were covered up. And now they're being dug up. And by the way, they have found, in one of the fossils at least, blood in the bone of one of the dinosaurs. Man, that must be more recent than millions and millions of years ago, as the evolutionists would want you to believe. Now, what we need to do as Christians, and I got a sermon on this, is use the dinosaurs and preach on the dinosaurs to show evidence for creation and how that mankind and dinosaurs walk together on the face of this earth. Now, to our caller, thank you, sir, for saying I believe in the Bible account of creation. Well, thank you, and it is right. Amen. You can mark it down, underline it, triple exit. God got it right. Okay. And these men that are promoting evolution and dinosaurs lived millions of years ago and they died out and they turned into birds and all of this kind of stuff uh, is ridiculous, to say the least. Well, I see. And it's interesting, too, that Job knew about these uh, lizards or dinosaurs uh, God asked him the question, why would God ask Job a question about these if he didn't have a clue about these humongous creatures that hadn't even existed during his time? Well, he knew about it because he had a first-hand experience with it. <clears throat> so, good again, we have Bible proof about the dinosaurs. That's right. Uh, Jeff, you got a comment? Yeah, Wesley, what you were just talking about, about the one about the blood that they found. I actually have a picture of that in a PowerPoint lesson. And listen to some of the things that they actually have captioned about this. A mummified dinosaur carcass found in Montana, the duck-billed hadrosaur. 
Soft tissue covering 90% of the fossil include muscles, nail material, beak, and skin preserved. Listen to this. His fossilized skeleton is covered in soft tissue, skin scales, muscle foot pads, and even his last meal was in his stomach. Leonardo is what they called him. Leonardo's stomach contents are so well preserved that researchers can tell what he had for his last supper, a salad of ferns, conifers, and magnolias. The stomach also contained the pollen from more than 40 different plants. You know, that's amazing. And I think what Milton was saying in, in Job, you know, when God goes to answer his, uh, answers Job in 40 and 41, look at Behemoth, look at Leviathan. One of the things I think we even mentioned about being fire-breathing oh, yes. in a description. Look yes. how magnificent these animals are. And that I have created, and I like his his uh, response. Sick him, Job. Go get him. Yeah. You know, man cannot even comprehend these animals. That's you know, right. And, and guys, again, the evolutionists has had twenty five hundred years plus to prove the book of Genesis false, and have not been able to do it. Uh, my grandson was talking to a college professor about the birth transformation argument, where you're either here by evolution or creation. And Brother Warren made that case against Anthony Flew, one of the world's leading atheists, and said if it's by evolution, it's got to be by birth or transformation. There's no evidence that two animals ever gave birth to a human, and there's no evidence that any uh, animal was walking through the woods one day and became a human. Therefore, evolution's false, and there's only one other option. And when you make that argument, the only thing this professor could say, well, I'm not sure those are the only two options. Brother Warren foreseen that kind of problem might arise, and he wrote all of these colleges and ask them for any other option. Give me a third option other than by creation or evolution. And never got a response to one. Because there is no other options. And uh, I told Logan, I said, Logan, just ask the professor, what is the third one then? That's right. And he'll, he'll live and die without giving it. It's either birth or transformation. Now, the reason they don't want to admit it and want to act like, well, maybe there's another option or whatever. They realize, based on the argument Brother Warren made, then there's only one conclusion you can reach, and you, Bill alluded to this, and you have too, Wesley, and others from time to time. The evolutionists many times will admit to you uh, that spontaneous generation didn't only occur, didn't occur, it could not occur, it's impossible. And the only reason they believe it did, at least believing in the unbelievable Bill, mm-hmm. the only other option is creation. That's right. We can't believe in God, and so we got to accept this, even though they know it's false. Yes. And now science books and other books sometimes will come out and write things as if it's true, when in factuality, it's not true. But in uh, many of our high schools and colleges, Evolution has been taught, even a weekly reader that came into a home one time of a little boy talked about billions and billions of years ago when the dinosaur existed. And so here, through a little innocent weekly reader, their child was being taught error. That's right. And so we have to guard against that. The Bible says everything comes forth after its own kind. If a rock could produce anything, it'd only be a rock. You can't get human beings out of rocks. And when you have... Two human beings that are going to bring forth a child, you don't ever ask, well, what kind of animal you think this will be? It'll be a human being if you have human beings because we all come forth of our own kind. Let me recommend to our listening audience that you go on to YouTube and type in the Warren Flu Debate. Warren Flu Debate. Thomas Warren debating the world's greatest atheist at that time, Anthony Flew, and he blew him away with truth. 
and he made the birth or transformation argument. Brother Warren told me personally that he had sent that to about every college and professor and so forth that he knew to get them to come up with a third option, and they couldn't think of a third one. There is not a third one. It's either creation or evolution. It is either birth or transformation. And since evolution can be proven false because it's not by birth or transformation, then the only other alternative is there is a God in heaven, and he created you, and he created me. Now, Charles Darwin, in The Origin of Species, pointed out that this process would be so slow, the evolutionary process, we wouldn't be able to see it, but the fossil record would be full, showing how one species changed to another, okay? One kind to another kind. That's what we're talking about. And you can ask the evolutionist, you know, why can't we see evolution? Oh, it's too slow. Well, you know what the fossil record said about that? That's not true. I've got quotes from the evolutionists themselves saying there is no transitional forms. They do not exist. Well, we could have told them that because God got it right. Well, then what do they say now? You know, uh, Goldsmith came up with the concept of punctuated equilibrium. He didn't call it that. But here's what it amounts to, that something like a crocodile or an alligator had all these genetic changes within, and for reasons unknown, laid an egg, and it produced a bird. Well, can you imagine how long that little bird would have lasted around that crocodile or alligator? How dumb. They laughed Goldsmith out of town. Richard Dawkins says he's going to be vindicated. You wait and see. Well, you know who tried to vindicate him? Richard Dawkins. By coming up with punctuated equilibrium. Now, see, time to them and mutations become their hero. That's why they want to talk about 15 billion years ago. Here's what happened. Friends, you can take all the time you want. We can give you trillions of years. And a rock will never bring forth a human being. Time and mutations are actually their enemy. That's exactly right. Uh, you know, the, the second law of thermodynamics says entropy. Everything's running down. Evolution says just the opposite. No, it's, it's improving. When you have mutations... Visibly, scientific evidence, it's never an improvement. It's always going downward. That's right. And uh, the same with time. The argument, uh, the example that you just gave, uh, okay, all of a sudden you produce a bird, and it's going to be millions of years before another one comes along. Uh, You know, it just doesn't make sense in in any uh, stretch of the imagination. It certainly does not. All right, let me take the phone call. Arise the truth, you on the air. Go ahead, please. Hey, Wesley. Yeah. You know, in Genesis, the, the 
Lord, Noah put more than two of each animal on the ark. Yes, he put he put two of the unclean, seven of the clean. Yeah, I just wanted to let you know about that. Okay, well we appreciate that. Okay, Thank you. bye. Yeah, of the uh, unclean animals, two. God said, "Go get one of each, uh, two of each kind, male and female." But it was a different story when it came to the clean, because when they got off the ark. They were going to have to have food. They were going to have to have animal sacrifices and so forth. And so God, being the brilliant being he is, planned for all of that, fellas. That's exactly right. And so, Wesley, you see design in all of this. Oh, yeah. You know, you see a creator. And, again, like I was talking about earlier, when the scientist was chatting the little boy about, you believe that all these little different, all kinds of dogs Came from two dogs. There's big ones, little ones. There's uh, fuzzy ones. There's some that's not so fuzzy. And all of these kinds, there's chihuahuas. And then there's these Dobermans. And you believe every one of those dogs came from two dogs? How ridiculous is that? And he said, well, it's no more ridiculous than thinking that every different kind of dog came from a rock. And that's what they believe. That something came out of nothing. And it's just like you said, when you start with nothing, you end up with the same thing. That's why we know that there was, there's always been life. That life is called God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we have to have life in order to produce it. So when the young child says, well, where did God come from? Well, God didn't come from any place because you've got to go back to a time when nothing existed but life itself, and that would be God himself, and he created everything. Yeah, Eddie, the way I make that argument, that's a great argument. Here I am. I'm evidence. I know I exist. Where did I come from? Well, my mom and dad. Where did they come from? Well, their moms and their dads. Yeah, but where did they come from? Their moms and their dads. Friends, you do that all the way back until you get to the first mom and the first dad. And then you got to ask the question, where did they come from? Now, they either came from non-living dirt or rocks or from a being that is so awesome that he holds within himself the secret of self-existence, and that is God, a non-contingent being, which means that his essence and his being is not dependent upon anyone, that he has always been as Psalm 91 and 2 says, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And so, fellas, that's the God that we're promoting. I want to give one quote before we go on. Now, you know, Darwin wrote his Origin of the Species in 1859. Well, in 1959 was the 100th anniversary of it. So they got Arthur Keith to write the forward into that anniversary edition. And here's what he said. Evolution is unproved and unprovable. We believe it only because the only alternative is special creation, and that is unthinkable. End of quote. Isn't that something? Here's a man that's an evolutionist. He said, I want you all to know something. 
Evolution is unproved. And by the way, it's unprovable. We'll never be able to prove it. Well, then, uh, Mr. Keith, why do you hold on to that position? Oh, it's because the only other alternative would be to admit there's a God in heaven that did it. Now, fellas, wouldn't it be terrible to have to admit that? Oh, it'd be awful. Oh, you're talking about ridiculous. And these people are supposed to be scientific in their approach. You know, the Bible says, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. First Thessalonians 5.21. And we want to be in the proven business. And by the way, let me say this to you, the listening audience. We believe in true science. Absolutely. Because he who wrote the Bible... Gave all the laws to true science, and there'll never be a contradiction. Norman Geisler wrote a book entitled, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And I understand that when we talk about biblical faith, we're talking about faith that's based upon evidence. But he's talking about the fact that these people have to take a blind leap in the dark to believe the things that they believe. And one of the things that he pointed out was just what you were talking about, Wesley, our whole Uh, material universe is a finely tuned system and he goes through about 15 different items to demonstrate how important i won't go through the whole list maybe a couple of them it's called the anthropic principle if these things if any one of these things did not exist we wouldn't have life on earth as we know it here's one that i would have never dreamed of if jupiter were not were not in its current orbit the Earth would be bombarded with space material. Jupiter's gravitational field acts as a cosmic vacuum cleaner, attracting uh, asteroids and comets that might otherwise strike the Earth. We just think to ourselves, well, it's just out there in space. No, God knew exactly what he was doing. If the thickness of the Earth's crust were greater, too much oxygen would be transferred to the crust to uh, support life. If it were thinner volcanic and tectonic activity would make life impossible. And the list goes on and on and on. Everything has to be just finely tuned. And someone says, well, you know, that was just Earth's lucky break. Over and over and over again, we see this. And you don't have to be a mathematician to know, no, the odds are against the possibility of these things just happening by chance. There is a designer behind all this design. 93 million miles away is the sun. Oh, what if it was much closer? We'd burn up. What if it's further away? We'd freeze to death. Aren't we lucky, fellas, that it happened that way? No. God designed it that way. And since he designed it that way, see, and by the way, we're talking about scientific knowledge here. Scientific facts. You know, just like 3,500 years ago, in Genesis 1, 11 and 12, Moses said, everything brings forth after its own kind. The atheist, the evolutionist, has had 3,500 years to prove that wrong. And they cannot prove it wrong. And if we this earth stands another billion years, they'll not be able to prove it wrong because everything brings forth after its own kind. If you're going to raise uh, black Angus cattle, you go get you a little 
pit bulldog, and then you get you a Persian cat. And, brother, you're going to have some wonderful black Angus cattle. Well, you know better than that. You go get you some black Angus cattle. And then you start to breed them, and now you got you a good farm going. And if your wife says she's pregnant, you're not expecting a little puppy. Even though you may want a little puppy, and you may have two children already, and they want a little puppy, they're not going to get a little puppy. You know why? Because everything brings forth after its own kind. I was watching Johnny Carson one night, and they had a dat on there. He said, what in the world's a dat? A cross between a cat and a dog. When I saw dat, I knew dat was false. You know why I knew dat was false? Is because the Bible says everything brings forth after its own kind. And in the newspaper the next day, they talked about the big hoax on the Johnny Carson show. Wes, I've been looking for this, and I knew I had it somewhere, and I finally found it. But I was doing some studying on, on evolution and science, and um, some of the things I found, were just it just amazed me uh, that why people would believe such a thing. But some evolutionists and scientists will have like a depth chart. And they'll go off this chart as if how far down they have found a certain fossil. If they find it 10 feet in the ground, they say, well, this has to be this certain period. It has to be 20 million years. Uh, that, that fossil must be 20 million years old. If they go further, they say, well, that has to be 50 million years old. Um, so I found a picture of a fossilized. I know you, you guys can see it and those listening can't. But it was a fossilized squid. And they dated it because of the depth that they had found it. They dated it to be 150 million years old. Now, they'll say that, you know, uh, we have evolved or we are evolving. But they fossilized this fossil that they dated. They dated 150 million years old. Right beside this fossil is also a squid. And guess what, Wesley? It looks just like the fossil. If that thing is 150 million years old, shouldn't that thing be different by now? Oh, yeah. You know, that's, that's proof there that they're not evolving. That's right. That's exactly right. You know, that that's amazing to say the least. And by the way, the dating uh, systems they have, uh, here a while back, they thought they'd found Noah's Ark over in Turkey on a mountain they call Mount Moses or Ararat. And they got a piece of wood from that vessel. And they took it to the University of Tennessee. And I was watching this, oh, and they want it carbon dated. And the scientist at the University of Tennessee said, well, we're going to be honest with you. After you get back after a few hundred years, this system's not accurate at all. So we can't tell you if this is during the days of Noah or not. What? They can go back billions of years according to what they say. Man alive. I have here. Living musket shells were dated up to 2,300 years old. They were living, and they dated them, and they were 300 years old, or, or 2,300 years old. A fleshly killed seal was carbon dated as having died 1,300 years ago. And then shells from living snails were carbon dated as being 27,000 Years ago. Now, you know where we're getting this stuff? From Science Volume 224, 1984, pages 58 through 61. We're getting it from their material. My, my. 
Now, friends, if I come up with a dating system, and here's a peanut butter sandwich laying here, and I'm going to carbon date it, and it says it is 5,000 years old, I know right then I cannot use that dating system because it's nowhere close to accurate. And they want you to believe that the geological columns are facts. Do you realize there there are trees, fossilized trees, that have grown up through several of these columns? You mean it just stood there and said, for millions of years, I'm going to stand and continue to live until I wind up in several of these columns. No, something had to cover that tree up in a hurry. You know what it was? Noah's flood. That's exactly what it was. Well, you know, Wesley, it's very intimidating when when you don't know the facts and someone says, and I had someone say this to me years ago, Had this man had a degree in geology, and he said, you can't deny the geologic table. The geologic table tells the story. Well, he's partially right. It tells the story, but not out in nature, but in a textbook. The only place you'll ever find the geologic table the way they explain it is in a textbook. That's exactly you right. You can't go out They'll have supposedly older layers on top of younger layers. Yeah. The whole thing is 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 false. I was down at the museum in Saltville. The, I, I think it's called the Appalachian Museum of Natural History where they had the woolly mammoth. And um, I was going through there, and there was no one there. And the, the man who oversees the place was chatting with me. And anyway, I was looking at they had a picture there of a trilobite. And I mentioned to him I wanted to see what his response would be because they consider that to be an index fossil. That was one of the first uh, things to, to be found on Earth millions of years before man. And I said, you know, the trilobite and man existed together. No, no, no. That's not possible. No. And, of course, you know, he, he just knew how ignorant I was. And I said, no, actually, I've got a picture of a trilobite in a human footprint. He stopped for a minute. He said, well, that couldn't be a human footprint. That's probably, you know, some other kind of creature. And I said, well, actually, it's not a footprint. It's a sandal print. And you can even see the stitching around the sandal. And he said, well, that, that just cannot possibly be right because trilobites and man, they didn't exist together. Well, they most certainly did, but that doesn't fit the story that they want to believe. Just right. And so when, you know, I say this, you know, folks, it's very intimidating for a, a person that's supposedly a scientist and a Ph.D. And incidentally... We have a lot of godly scientists right here in this area. We have a couple in the congregation at Abingdon that are that are godly men. They're scientists, but they believe in true science that's in harmony with the Bible. And uh, it's intimidating when when somebody says, "Well, you're wrong. Dinosaurs were gone for so many years, and man didn't come on the scene." But the fact of the matter is they're distorting the evidence. That's right. And uh, just uh, have the confidence to say, well, let's search this out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll help you. There's other websites that we can send you to where there is evidence. I had a man the other day. He was saying some things. I said, well, can you show me your documentation? I'll be happy to show you my documentation. But nothing's true just because Bill Haywood says it. 
I need to either show you from God's Word or I need to show you from nature or I need to show you from some other documentation. It's not just true because I say it. That's right. Uh, and, and that counts for the other side as well. That's just right. because they say something about evolution doesn't make it true. And I tell you, Bill, a lot of these guys have never been questioned. Mm-hmm. And they don't like it like you was talking about. Uh, one of the guys that works for the fossil thing in Gray came in our store one day, and he was talking about these fossils and how old they were. And when Howard got to asking him questions, he used some profanity and left. See, they're not used to being challenged. No. And when somebody, they find out, might know a little something about uh, science and real science and true science, they don't have long to tarry for the most part because they can't deal with the truth. The truth is consistent. As a matter of fact, you know, along this lines, you mentioned Dr. Flew earlier in his debate with Dr. Warren. Flew, before he died, he didn't make the, he, unfortunately, he didn't make the whole journey, but he did come to the conclusion there had to be right. an intelligent designer. He said there's just too much evidence. Boy, you talk about the atheistic community getting upset. They badmouthed him and said, well, he's got dementia. He's crazy. He doesn't know what he's saying. He doesn't mean those things. That's amazing. Here you have a man finally saying what's right, and the, the, his community that had backed him for years, all of a sudden they start saying he's crazy. Well, well, you know, it's kind of like logic, Brother Warren, you say nobody ever turns on logic till logic turns on them. That's right. And so when he turned on the, his evolutionary friends, then that's when they would turn back on him, of course. You know, uh, here's a scientist, and he holds up this fossil and says, this is five million years old. Now, how does he know that? Now, if you go to a museum, you look at the fossils. Stamped on them is their age, five million years old. No, it's not stamped on them. (laughs) No, you just got a bone. You got a fossil. And... You ask them, well, how do you know it's 5 million years old? Oh, that's easy. I'm proud you asked that. It was found in strata, a geological column. It's 5 million years old. Well, now, wait a minute. How do you know that column is 5 million years old? Wesley, don't be dumb. We found this 5 million year old fossil in it. You see, it's circular reasoning and the average bird doesn't know to ask about these things to show how that they have absolutely no evidence friends we're telling you today never run from evidence that's it evidence will take you where you need to be scientific evidence will lead you to god biblical evidence will lead you to god nature will lead you to god And God designed it that way. He would be unfair if he did not give sufficient evidence to prove that he is and then turn right around and say, I'll condemn you if you don't reach that conclusion. You see, God is brilliant. And he's given us all kinds of evidence to prove that he is. Now, I want to read you something here. And this is from Stephen Gould. And he's one of their heroes for the evolutionary process. He says the absence of fossil evidence for intermediary stages have been a persistent and nagging problem for evolution. End of quote. Boy, he's right. It's just not there. And then I want to read you some more here. And you're talking about important. This is from 
Colin Patterson. He said, I fully agree with your comments on the lack of evolutionary transitions in my book. If I knew of any, fossil or living, I would certainly include them. I lay it on the line. There is no such fossil. Now, that's an evolutionist, friend. There's no such fossil that shows that one kind changed to another kind. And there never will be that kind of fossil. And the reason being is because God Almighty designed things and God said, here's the way it's going to be, and we got to believe it. Let me just read you a few verses. I've alluded to these. In Genesis 1, 11, 12, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself, upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Do you know there's some evolutionists that will tell you that you and poison ivy are cousins? Some will say that you evolved from a worm. I've got their quote from textbooks that a grub worm was your great, 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 great grandfather. My, my, who in the world can believe that? Gentlemen? It's a, it's unbelievable. And like Bill was talking about one gentleman that said, I don't have enough faith to be an evolutionist. And they'll talk about seemingly, Wesley, how hard it would be to accept the idea of God and his existence. I, I would think if I could believe in evolution, I could practically believe in anything. That's exactly and right. It's uh, sad. And we want to encourage our listeners to be aware of the fact. Now, we've done this before on a rise to truth, challenged some of the professors at ETSU or wherever they may be, not in a mean way, but to discuss these things publicly. We've given them a free time to call a rise to truth and set forth their positions. And, uh, again, you don't have to be afraid of truth. Truth is consistent. Truth will stand when the world's on fire. And that's one of the things Brother Warren I think Bill was trying to impress on young preachers was you don't have to be afraid of a Ph.D. or a fellow that teaches science. If he's teaching error, it's error, and it's not going to stand. And when Brother Warren when entered his debate with Dr. Flew, I think Flew was thought he was going to talk about the Loch Ness Monster and stuff he's conjured up in his mind, but he set forth biblical argumentation. He set forth logical argumentation and Dr. Flew had written a book on called Thinking Straight and had taught in his college's logic. So he knew that Brother Warren's position on creation evolution was sound and valid, and he never even attempted to answer it, and the reason for that he couldn't. And I'm confident that that was one of the things that later led to him to have to believe there has to be a higher being, a creator, because nothing cannot bring forth something. And so, therefore, evolution cannot be true because you can't prove they evolved into a human being or that two ape-like creatures gave birth to a human being. And if you did, who's going to be held accountable? The individuals or their parents or whom? You know, will the first human being be judged based upon his ancestry or whatever? Well, the whole system is just bad from the get-go. But people will buy into it because it's a fanciful theory and that's a way for them. So they think to deny the existence of God. Wesley, in the book From Creation to the Cross, page 27, 
The author said this, if we're going to learn about God through his activity, creation is the best place to start. Yeah. And he goes on to say, it was and is the critical event for a person's worldview. That's exactly right. And Jeff, right. that's why the atheists have challenged so much the first 11 chapters of the book of mm-hmm. Genesis. Yeah. That's why it's come under such attack. You know, in, in our worldviews class, one of the things I point out to the students, and it's so crucial for folks to understand this, the philosophy of naturalism was on the scene a long time before Darwin came along. Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, people were were hungry for a mechanism that would validate their philosophy. Now, they still don't have a scientific method to, fil- to validate their philosophy, but, uh, but nevertheless, they, they claim that they do. And it all comes down to this thing. They want to live the way they want to live. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be responsible to a God. But there's a, there is a, a, a test for any philosophy, and it's the coherency test. Can you be coherent from beginning to end? The evolutionists can't. They, they are, uh, the naturalists can't because their position is there is no God. You can do as you please, but then they'll turn around when someone breaks into their house and say, hey, that's wrong. When someone rapes their wife, that's a tragedy. But based on what? And so when you put the coherency test to it and you realize you can't be consistent, I don't mean that that you're inconsistent sometimes. I mean you can't be consistent with your position. There's something wrong with that position. That's right. Now, you may have a question or a comment. You can do like other callers have done. You can call 512-9226. 512-9226. But you better hurry. We're running out of time. For this program, Milton, have you got a comment? Yeah, you know what's a shame today is uh, at one time in the school systems, evolution was a theory, but now it seems like in, in many parts of the country, it's it's a fact. That's right. And uh, used to you could teach on uh, creation and also on evolution, but now it's only one sided. You can only teach on evolution only and not creation, and that's a that's a sad point that we can't get. Get in there and teach them the truth about that. Yeah, the evolutionists used to argue, and we uh, take our students sometimes to uh, these places where, like the Scopes trial mm. in Dayton, Tennessee, and uh, somebody said truth was on trial, and somebody said no truth wasn't present, mm. and so it wasn't <laughs> on trial. Yeah. But when you think about those kind of things, the evolutionists then were saying we don't want to take creation, the teaching of creation out of the school. We just want evolution taught along beside it. Well, it wasn't long till then the evolution taught along beside it was kicked out creation. And now we're doing trying to fight the opposite battle. We don't care for evolution to be laid down beside creation. Creation will shine. Oh, sure. yeah. Shine like a light. And yeah. so we're saying lay them down side by side and give them the test, and it won't be hard to determine which one is correct. Oh, they say if you teach creation in your school system, you'll set science back 150 years. No, no, you won't set it back. You will exalt it. Mm -hmm. You will demonstrate clearly that life has to bring forth life. That's the law of biogenesis. You'll show that spontaneous generation is false. Louis Pasteur proved that, that it does not happen. You will demonstrate clearly that everything brings forth after its own kind. I was privileged to go to... West Virginia, and to teach a whole series on science in the Bible. 
and they invited college professors and high school science teachers and all of them to come and listen. And I even went over to college and answered questions during the day. And lo and behold, when I got through preaching a night or two at the congregation where some of these uh, science teachers came, they said this coming out. You brought up some very interesting stuff. I'm going to have to rethink this. Well, folks, that's all we want you to do is be fair mm-hmm. and rethink it. That's right. If you're an evolutionist, an atheist, you only get one shot at this lap of going from here to heaven. You've got to get it right, and I've got to get it what right. What have they got to lose? they got nothing to lose, Ed. I mean, what have you got to lose when you have nothing? You've got nothing to lose. Yeah. In Barnhart-Warren debate, Barnhart talks about, no, it's Matson. Matson-Warren. Matson talks about what it's going to be like when it comes time for him to die. And he's an atheist. And I'm telling you, it's going to bring tears to your eyes. No hope. Very dim, uh, bleak outlook. When you think about evolution, it's a system without an aim. Purpose, goal, drive, intelligence, cause, mechanism, destiny. It's a system without the aid of scientific law. It's a system that is totally false. Now, Tom Warren built a concrete walls around Anthony Flew and said, you're going to have to go through all these walls in order to prove there is no God and evolution is true. You're going to have to prove matters eternal. You're going to have to prove that life came from non-living dirt and rocks. You're going to have to prove that consciousness came from that which had no consciousness. Now, you think about that. How does a rock learn to think? How does non-living dirt and rocks and water learn to think? You're going to have to prove where the conscience came from. Think about that. You feel guilty when you do certain things. Intelligence. From that which had none. How do you get a rock to think? Human beings from non-human beings. How do you make that transition? If you can walk through all these huge concrete walls, then you can establish maybe there is no God and evolution is true, but it cannot be done. Man, I see that old clock has caught us. We appreciate you listening and the good phone calls we've had. Always take the evidence. And if you'll take the evidence on God's plan of salvation, you'll believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of your sins, and the Lord will add you to his church, and you can know that you're heaven-bound as long as you're faithful. Hey, thank you so much for being with us, and may God richly bless you as you continue to study the greatest of all books, the inspired, inerrant, perfect will of God.